I wonder if you'd turn with me, please, to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Thank you. Book of Jude. And friends, as we read the word of God together, I wonder if you stand with me for the reading of the word of God, please. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be, mul- be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ." I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with the ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in, in admiration because of advantage. But beloved... Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. 
But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. wonder if we might have a further word of prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, it's our great privilege to be able to open the Scriptures together and consider the Word of God. And we want to ask you, Lord, for the enabling to bring forth that which is on your heart for your people. Deliver us, Lord, from hearing out from a man this morning. We, we want to hear from the living God. Lord, please lay hold of my tongue. Please lay hold on my lips. Please lay hold on my heart and on all our hearts. And please bring to us all that is your counsel and your will, all that is your purpose and design for our even being together today. Lord, you have caused this day to come into being. You knew about it before the world was even created, and you destined us to be together today, at this hour, hearing the word of God. And Lord, you've made it to happen. Now, Lord, we pray that you would open our ears, you'd unblock our hearts, and that you'd give light to our minds. That, Lord, you would illuminate our spirits and you would deliver us from deafness, blindness, and from the interpretation of the deception from our own hearts. Lord, we ask of you, Lord, that by your spirit you would interpret to us all that you're wanting to say to us. And it would be counsel from heaven rather than from men. And that it would be received as from you and not from ourselves. Lord, we are looking to you to feed your flock, to nourish, to water, to bless, to encourage, to pardon, to rebuke, to equip, to build up. Whatever is necessary, Lord, let us not be the interpreter of that. But would you do that work, Lord, and show us what we need to hear. We thank you, Lord, this day, as we were thinking just moments earlier, that you've delivered our nation from being gripped by the European Union. We thank you again, Lord, and praise your holy name for your kindness and mercy to us. And indeed, it is our prayer that you would graciously navigate us through these early days and grant us to know a full release from any kind of hold of Europe over us in the future. We are asking you, Lord, to intervene in every kind of negotiation that takes place and that, Lord, you would have your purposes fulfilled and the council of the nations would come to nothing. Have your will, your agenda, and your desire. And please, Lord, as you've given us a little bit of time for grace, that, Lord, we may lay hold on it, and as your people awaken to this hour of opportunity that you've given to us, that there may be a little reviving in our day. Oh, Lord, would you grant it to us, we pray. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, and again ask for your help and grace and aid. Cleanse us from any sin of speech, in word, in thought, in deed, anything contrary to you that has been upon us even today. And help us, Lord. Help us, we pray, to hear from heaven. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen.
Please be seated, everyone. Amen. <clears throat> As you know, I've been going through just a, a few Sundays a series about strengthening the things that remain. And I was praying just Friday gone that the Lord would show me what is on his heart for us, particularly this morning. And I really felt he put one of the verses that I read to you on my heart from the book of Jude for our time together this morning, specifically verse 3, where it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. God willing, we will look at that verse a little more in detail shortly, but I want us to get a run into it by starting right at the beginning, and a few thoughts, please, uh, from the first couple of verses um, to put the uh, uh, passage in context. First of all, we read right from the beginning of verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And firstly, just want you to notice one thing that I think is really important within just the words that I've already read. Before Jude speaks of uh, James, his brother, he firstly speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is an important thing for us to note. He doesn't, Jude doesn't firstly commend himself to the believers as a brother of James, but firstly commends himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Before any personal relationship you have, the Lord Jesus is to be first. He's to be number one in everything. We're not to put any relative, whether it be brother, sister, husband, wife, father, mother, child, whoever it is, before the person of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is to be first in your life and in my life. And, you know, it's an amazing uh, scripture that we find in Matthew 12 concerning the Lord Jesus himself. Do you remember when he was speaking to the people who had come to hear him? And when he was talking to them about God's judgment, as it were, upon that particular generation. And we go on to read in verse 46 about something that took place while Jesus was speaking. It says in verse 46 of Matthew 12, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood up without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand outside or without, desiring to speak with you. Now, if that was you, and you was giving discourse, you were saying something, and then family, you were told, family members are outside, they want to speak to you. Your immediate reaction would be, well, I must look right in front of everybody outside and pay attention to the fact that my family are wanting to see me. But that's not what Jesus does. What does he say? It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? He says this in verse 48. But he answered and said unto him, that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. 
Essentially, dear friends, you and I are related closer than any blood relationship because it's in the Lord Jesus. And actually, we're to put the Lord first above everything else. And it's so difficult for us to do at times. But we firstly need to see ourselves in relation to the Lord Jesus before we see ourselves in relation to anybody else. Because the most important thing is, where do I stand with the Lord Jesus? Where do you stand with the Lord Jesus? And Jude here speaks firstly about being a servant of the Lord Jesus. You know what the scriptures say in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, a very challenging verse. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. This is the Lord Jesus speaking again. And he says, verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." Now, when it's saying hate, it's not obviously literally telling you that you should have a lot of anger in your heart towards your family relations. God forbid that you go out of this room and think, right, I need to work up a bit of anger towards my brother or something like that. If you go out thinking that, you've got completely the wrong end of the stick. But what we do need to do is when anything cuts across what the Lord requires of us, then we go with what the Lord requires of us first. Do you understand? There's going to be times, particularly if your family members are not believers, that that what they're going to do is cut across your Christianity. They're going to require things of you that you know are not right. And the question is, who are you going to go with? Are you going to go with what they say for the sake of a peace? Or are you going to stick with the Lord Jesus? And it's going to take some kind of Um, strength that won't be of yourself, it will be of the Spirit of God, to be able to withstand that kind of opposition. And you need to, and I need to be able to lay hold of God and say, now Lord, I want to put you first. But the amazing thing is, friends, when you do put the Lord first, you will find the blessings will be multiplied to you. And even if it means that you have to cut across those close to you, if you go with the Lord... And do what the Lord says. And for righteousness sake, make a stand. You'll find the Lord is such a close friend to you. You'll find him near to you. You'll find him on your side. You'll find him for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? But just try to compromise for the sake of peace with people who are requiring things of you that are not of God. And you will find if you compromise for the sake of peace, you will still not find the peace. They will require more of you. And then you'll go a little bit more with them. And then they require more of you. They'll never be satisfied with the fact that you've compromised. Don't be deceived. Stay with the Lord. He's the only one who can really bless our lives. And we need to be those that put him first, do we not? So, dear friends, let's be those that really always seek to be rightly related to the Lord before even any family member but then the scriptures go in Jude, going back to Jude, go on to speak to us of those who are true believers in the Lord Jesus. Um, 
Jude goes on to describe what a true believer is. He's writing to true saints in this particular passage. How does he describe them? He doesn't just say, to them that are loved by God, that would be wonderful in and of itself. Or, to the saints, what does he say? He says, firstly, to them that are sanctified. To them that are sanctified, the word means to be holy, to make holy, to purify or consecrate. It means to hallow. And that's exactly, dear friends, what the Lord has done for us himself. He has sanctified us. If we're born again of the Spirit, he's set us apart as holy unto himself. That's quite an extraordinary thought, isn't it? But that's exactly what the Word of God says. He's, we are His special treasure, His possession. We are to be set apart unto Him for His glory, for His praise, and for His honor. So the first thing that Jude mentions is that these are a people who are sanctified. Praise the Lord. There's a verse in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18 that speaks of the sanctified of God. And I'll just read it to you in verse 16. No, that's the wrong... 18. Acts 26, sorry, verse 18. Uh, yes. And uh, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now that's a marvelous passage, isn't it? And uh, we have experienced that if we're truly born again of the Spirit that we have been delivered from the grip of the power of Satan. We've received forgiveness of sins, and we now have an inheritance. It, it basically means an inheritance by lot. It speaks of a lot. Among them which are sanctified by faith in the Lord Jesus. What a wonderful statement this is. Glory be to the name of the Lord. So we're sanctified. The Lord set us apart for himself unto an inheritance. Isn't this amazing? True, an inheritance in us that the Lord wants for himself, but that we might have an inheritance in him. And we might know what it is to have this wonderful hope to come of an inheritance. Praise be to the Lord. So that's the first thing we notice in this passage, that these, this letter is to those who are sanctified by God the Father. And then secondly, preserved in Jesus Christ. Preserved in Jesus Christ. This word preserved means to guard, to watch over, to keep. Dear friends, the saints are preserved by the Father. This is something you and I need to take to heart this morning. Have you been born again of the Spirit? Do you know the forgiveness of sins? Do you know what it is to be made right with God? Do you know what it is that you have an inheritance that cannot be spoilt, um, preserved in heaven for you? Do you know that you are preserved yourself by God? I want to tell you, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus, you wouldn't be here this morning if Jesus didn't preserve you. You wouldn't have a hope 
The road is too hard and too narrow. And you may think, well, no, I would have made it through. Dear friends, there are a thousand evils that the Lord has kept us from that perhaps we weren't even mindful of. And the Lord has preserved your soul without you even knowing it at times. He's kept you. You're kept by the power of God. And this is something that we need to take to heart, friends, because so many Christians walk around, uh, as it were, on eggshells, wondering one day if they're in the kingdom, then the next day if they're out of the kingdom, then the next day if they're in the kingdom, constantly worried about their stance with the Lord because they don't feel they're quite making it even though they've known the power of the Spirit of God at work in their lives. And yet, dear friends, what we need to realize is that our hope is what? It's certain and secure, is it not? Christ in you, the hope, the sure hope of glory. And the Lord is able to preserve and keep your soul right to the very end. I hope you believe that. Jude Jude obviously did. He said to the saints here that they were preserved in Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus himself talks about the preservation of the saints to the Father in the Gospel of John. Just turn there with me briefly for a moment because there's something marvelous in this particular passage. John 17, I always feel, looking at these verses, that it's such a privilege to be able to almost eavesdrop into the Uh, presence of God and hear the Son and the Father together, the Son speaking to the Father. It's a tremendous um, uh, thing that the Lord has been gracious enough to disclose this to us in the Word of God, isn't it? Because it's so personal, the way the Lord Jesus is speaking. And in John chapter... uh, What did I say? Did I? Yes, that's right. John chapter 17. Good, you're all still awake. That's very... And... uh, Want to start... By looking from verse uh, 10, I think. Yes. Let's read from verse 8. Uh, even, even before, verse 6. I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. What a statement. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. Now here is the Lord Jesus, our great intercessor, praying for the disciples, but actually also to widen it up to all those that would be in the Lord Jesus. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled 
in themselves. Please go down to verse 15. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. Amazing, isn't it? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Do you notice the son is speaking to the father and saying, Father, keep them, guard them. I have kept them while I was in the world. And none of them have been lost. In other words, the Lord Jesus has a 100% track record when he is on the earth of keeping all those that the Father had given to him. But now he's pleading with the Father that the Father would keep them. And as he goes out of the world, praying that the Father would watch over the saints who were to come. And uh, that's why basically um, we find that the verse uh, in Jude says that they are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. They are preserved in him, but also it's by the Father. And the Father knows how to keep his own. I hope you realize that. I'm sure you do. He watches over you. He guards you. He makes sure there's growth in your life. He knows how to deal with you and to keep you out of the way of evil and to preserve your soul. In fact, it's interesting that the book of Jude, he ends almost as he begins. And he says in verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Marvelous verse to end with. And just as he starts, he ends. The keeping power of God. Dear brothers and sisters, you will never really be able to flourish in faith while you're doubting the keeping power of God over your life. You can't have any assurance. You'll be constantly at variance in yourself. You won't know how to act. You'll be wondering, should I do this? Should I do that? Constantly hesitating, constantly limping over two opinions. There's doubt and anxiety. But if you come to the point where you realize, I'm going to trust that the Lord will keep me, then you will be able to have that sense of peace within your innermost being. By faith, believe in the keeping power of God. He's able to preserve your soul. So this is another thing that is mentioned to those who are believers. And then finally, it speaks of those who are called. Those who are called. Have you been called? I trust you have. Um, Who is it that is, what does it mean by those that are called? Well, there's different kinds of understanding of calling. Of course, there's a calling that generally goes out. But there's there's, as it were, an effectual calling where the Lord calls your name. Do you remember when the Lord went past one of the disciples and he called their name and immediately they followed him? It's just amazing, isn't it? And so the Lord has called you by name. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called you that you might be to the praise of his glory, that you might exhort him in your life. And we read, don't we, in the book of Romans and chapter 8, And verse 28, a marvelous statement. Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. Are you called according to the purpose of God? Has the Lord come to you and whispered your name and effected something in your heart? that brought an alertness in your spirit that was, was not there before. You've been called. Personally, isn't it a wonderful thing that the Lord knows you by name? 
Marvellous. Well, praise the Lord. And if we put this in a different order than the one, not to change the order that Jude put it in, you understand, I'm not trying to twist the scriptures, but how this comes to us, what is it that the Lord has done for the believer? The believer is called, the believer is sanctified, and the believer is preserved. Marvellous, isn't it? That's what the Lord has done over your life and over my life. And then we get to this third verse. Beloved, so again, a term of endearment, of closeness, obviously speaking to true believers. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What does this word mean? Well, first of all, um, Jude says, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Jude was saying, initially when I was going to write to you, I wanted to speak to you of our common faith, what we share in the Lord Jesus. Now, I think this is a marvelous thing, friends, and I think it's worth taking note of, is it not? That as Jude uh, mentions what his original burden was in writing to the believers, it wasn't to bring this challenge to them initially, but to speak about the common salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that as the people of God, the Lord wants us to learn to love to speak to one another about himself. And about the salvation of God. You get believers and they will be in church. And they have their service in church. And then you'll never hear them speak about the law from the rest of the Sunday to the following Sunday morning. What kind of Christianity is that? Imagine if the only day you spoke of your wife, husbands, was on your wedding day. And then you didn't speak about your wife for the rest of the year until it came to the first anniversary. Then you start speaking about it. It's the nonsense, isn't it? What kind of Christianity is that? But you know when you're in love with the Lord Jesus because you speak of him. You talk of him. You st- when, what did you speak of this week? What did I speak of this week? Who are we speaking of this week? Were we speaking of the Lord? Were we wanting to share with other believers about what we had received in the word of God? This is why it's so important for us all to be meditating in the scriptures daily. Because if you haven't, and I'm not meditating daily, what have we got to say to one another? But if we're going on with the Lord, and we're allowing the word of God to get into us, and you're allowing the word of God to get into you, when we meet together, we will speak about this glorious salvation all the day if necessary and that's the way that true Christianity is listen that's the way the Puritans were they would speak about the Lord they would speak about his loveliness think of Samuel Rutherford's book the loveliness of Christ oh wouldn't it be good to see some books like that on our Christian bookshelves today not seven ways to promote yourself But the beauty of the Lord Jesus, the wonder of the person, how far we've removed ourselves from our first love, haven't we? And we need to come back and delight ourselves afresh in the Lord Jesus. This was the secret of people like George Mueller. He would meditate in the word of God. He'd delight himself in the Lord. Are you doing that? Am I doing this? Are we wanting to speak to one another of our common salvation? I think of the Apostle Paul in the first chapter of the book of Romans. He says to the church of Rome, a church that he'd never been to before. He hadn't planted this church. And he says halfway down the chapter 
on the left-hand side of the page, just halfway down, can't remember what verse it was, he says to them, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. Then he says, that is that I might be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That's the apostle speaking. He's speaking to a church that has trouble. He's speaking to a church that have got a few things wrong. And he's saying, I want to be encouraged together with you, both through each other, to each other, of our faith in the Lord Jesus. But you see, if I don't fill myself with the word of God, there's going to be trouble, there's difficulty. But if I allow the word of God to get in me, I've got something to give to others. You see, often we think of our quiet time as, Lord, would you bless me? Why aren't I getting anything from the word of God? Why don't I get what so-and-so gets? She is not a better Christian than I am. In fact, I think, to be honest with you, she's a real pain. There's no reason why she should get more from the word than I do. I'm a better Christian, and I probably put more in the offering box. So there. It's the kind of Christianity we've got today at times, isn't it? I'm better. No, 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 no. This isn't the way of things, brothers and sisters. We need desperately to not only want the Word of God to open up to us on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning because we want to feed ourselves, but we want to have something in us for the body. Now that should be our mentality. I want something for this sister Lord. I've got nothing unless you give to me. What about this, brother? That's the kind of attitude we need, isn't it? Corporate mentality. Oh, dear friends, the moment you start rejoicing in somebody else being blessed in the Lord, you'll catch it. (laughs) I know of one particular woman that was so upset that she hadn't received the gift of tongues. And she was so disturbed by this. And the pastor spoke to her about it. And He said, what is the matter? And she said, I can't speak in tongues. And I've been a Christian so many years. And there's all these other brothers and sisters who've come to the Lord only the last year or so. And they're all speaking in tongues now. I'm the only one who seems to be left out. It's not fair. And the pastor said something very wise to her. He said, well, do you know, my dear, you did receive it because the body received it. And you're part of the same body. And she's... And then her whole attitude towards these other brothers and sisters changed. And she danced around the church hall. <laughs> I'm telling you something that literally happened. She's rejoicing. I think she was in her 80s. Or so, rejoicing that she'd received because the brothers and sisters had received. And she started to go home. She went home and she immediately spoke in tongues. There you go. That's the, that's the way, isn't it? It's the corporate life. Let the word of Christ, let the words of Messiah dwell in you richly. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. When it's saying dwell in you richly, it just doesn't just mean one of you. When it's saying dwell in you, Paul is not just saying to one member of the congregation, we want the word of God to dwell in you personally. No, he's talking to the church corporately that the word of Christ might dwell in you together. 
And if the word of Christ dwells in us and you and I meditate on the word of God as a people of God and we ask for the aid of the Spirit when we come together, won't things be different? Won't things be richer in our fellowship? I don't think we'll be too worried about the results of the horse racing yesterday. We'll be more about thinking the things of eternal, eternity will be on our hearts. I've never liked horse racing anyway, so it's the most boring of sports. That's why they have to bet on it to keep it going. But nonetheless, even football or something like that, whatever it be, if that's all our conversation all the day, football this, football that, football the other, they're only human beings kicking their leather ball about, aren't they? They might have some nice shin pads on or whatever, football boots, great, they can kick a ball about, but it's great, it's great, I'm happy, I'll talk with you about it, but let's eventually get back to what really matters, the Lord Jesus, the person of the Lord, not Christianity of itself, the person of the Lord. Jude wanted to speak, Jude wanted to speak about their common face together. Do you remember what it says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16? No? Okay. Well, I'll remind you what it says in Malachi chapter... You know, people always talk about John chapter 3, 16. But there's some really good other ones. Get a few of them in your armory. Why don't you? I've just mentioned Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But what about Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16? Where it speaks about what? About those who feared the Lord. Do you remember this verse? It's probably on my notes somewhere. But there's a verse in the book of Malachi where it says that they spoke together about the things of God and the Lord heard them. Do you remember that beautiful statement? Yes. You got it up. Thank you. Brother, you're ahead of me. Then they, it doesn't take much, then they that feared the Lord spoke Often one to another. I don't think they were speaking about the horse racing. I don't think they were speaking about any particular... They were certainly not speaking about the soaps. What were they speaking one to another about? The clue is in the first sentence. They that feared the Lord. When somebody fears the Lord... Their speech changes. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, not once every other week, often one to another, and the Lord hearkened. Now this is an amazing statement. In other words, the Lord is seeing there's a company of people that are concerned over my word. They're taking note of it. They're talking to one another about it. And the Lord, as it were, bends his ear to what they're saying and hearkens and hears it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that brought and that thought upon his name. So brothers and sisters, are you those that think upon his name? Are you and I people that talk together about the things of God? Jude was. And I think it a fearful thing that we can simply be those that love to just rail against other believers, don't you? 
If that's all our topic of conversation, we need to speak about heresies. We need to speak about doctrines of demons. We need to speak about things that are coming up that are not of God. We need to speak about people at times that are coming in that are not of God. We'll see that in the book of Jude. But in our hearts, our deep desire is to speak of the Lord Jesus. That should be the way things are. If we delight in exposing people, you know what it's like. We just love the idea. What's the latest news or the next bit of Christian gossip on so-and-so? That's not Christianity. I can't find that in the word of God. It's not a desire. It should grieve our hearts and we should be in prayer and we should be broken before we speak of others in that kind of way, publicly. But maybe I'm getting myself into deep waters. <laughs> got to be careful what I say. But nonetheless, brothers and sisters, is the Lord your joy this morning? Do you delight in sharing about him? I really hope so. Well, Jude wanted to, and he was going to speak to them about the common faith, but then he has to change track. And he says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye, ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What a statement this is. So Jude is now earnestly saying, You need to earnestly contend for the faith. In other words, you need to do a bit of battling. The word earnestly contend speaks of a struggle. And so often when we think of this phrase about earnestly contending for the faith, we think of church leaders, don't we? Or preachers from the, from the past. These are those that earnestly contended for the faith. But Jude isn't writing to leaders, he's writing to a congregation of believers. And he's saying, believers, all of you, you need to earnestly contend. You're going to have to battle for the faith. Something has come in, and you need to battle for it. Now, praise God that Jude was aware of this. I don't know how he was aware of it. I don't know what alerted his mind to this, or whether he knew some information of what was going on, particularly with this fellowship, could well be the case. But he certainly was intending initially to write about the common faith that he had with them in the Lord Jesus. But he changed. And so, dear friends, it's so important for us, particularly those of us who are leading within the house of God, that we are alert to the leading of the Spirit of God so that we are able to put off any danger that might be coming our way or that is in the midst and we're not aware of it. I remember being at a previous church and the Lord gave to us a word of prophecy warning our particular fellowship that there were going to be people that came in amongst us and caused problems and even raised their voices during the message and disturbed the young people. Now you wouldn't have believed that that was possible in this village church. Within six months it happened. This is why we need this kind of alertness in our spirits to God. And we need to be aware. And we need to be vigilant. Not neurotic, but vigilant over what is happening. Even amongst us, friends. We need to be alert, don't we? As to where we stand and where we are with each other in the faith of our Lord Jesus. So, Jude goes on to say that he had to change what he was going to write about. 
and says to them that they should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. What was the issue? Verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a really important statement that Jude makes. There had been men that had come in unawares. Men that had come in unawares. Now the word unawares means to enter in by the side. (laughs) What an amazing statement that is, isn't it? Or it means to creep in stealthily. They don't enter in by the narrow gate. They come in by the side. And they work their way into a fellowship. And they come in amongst the saints and they act almost as they're one of them. But they haven't come in by the narrow way. By the way through the Lord Jesus. And Jude's warning them about these ones. They've crept in unawares. And so often, dear friends, I have to say that something of the teaching of our day is responsible for our negligence regarding these things happening. What do I mean? We are, fi- we are teaching in our day one statement over and over again to our congregations. You mustn't judge. You mustn't judge. You mustn't judge. Don't judge. We are to love one another. Don't judge. Don't say anything against one another. We're to love one another. Well, of course, that's absolutely true. But that statement, unqualified, leads people to lull to sleep their spiritual senses, which is just what the enemy wants us to do. Are you not to judge? Dear brothers and sisters, you are to judge. (laughs) The Word of God tells you to. What we're not to judge is a person's motive when they're acting in a way before God. We don't know what their motives are, do we? But we're not to judge people coming into the church. Of course we are. If you don't judge, we could have had false prophets, teachers, leaders up here without any problem whatsoever. And we could just say, well, we're not to judge them. But the Word of God specifically shows us that we do need to be alert. This is what Jude is saying to the congregation. Effectively is saying to them, you've gone to sleep, you need to wake up. There's those who've come in amongst you who are going to cause trouble. That are already causing trouble. And you need to wake Get your spiritual senses going. How are you going to be awake? Brothers and sisters, you and I need to get our understanding of how church should be, not from what we've learned from men, but by, but by what the Word of God actually says. Please get back to the Word of God. Don't allow another person to think for you. Don't allow me to think for you. Go back to the word of God and see whether what is being said is from above. It's from the counsel of the scriptures. Because there's things that have come into church life that we take for absolute, um, we think it's absolutely fine. There's no problem at all. Because our minds are in a sense just in a place of receptivity. We just believe what we hear. 
and we don't weigh up what we hear. Think about the, the people at Berea in Acts chapter 17. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because they were, even, they were checking out what Paul was saying to see whether it was actually the word of God. So we are to be those that are be alert. What had happened was there was a company of people, a company of men that had come in, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. The scriptures speak of this fact happening before its time. And then we read this, ungodly men. Well, what, what were they doing? Let's read the next verse. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, dear friends, he's not speaking to those that are negligent about the scriptures or the word of God. A little bit later, he tells them to put into remembrance, though ye once knew this, concerning scriptures from the past, the Old Testament. These people were acquainted with the Old Testament. These people were sanctified. They were called. They were those that were preserved by the Lord. And yet, people had been able to creep in unawares. And these were now sowing a doctrine of a different type of grace. And the incredible thing is, this type of grace has an, in, an, an amazing sense of something that is relevant to us today. What was going on there is going on today. Changing the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means taking something that is pure and making it unclean. That's what lasciviousness actually means. Taking something that is pure, something that is holy, something that is amazing, and making it to be unclean. And we have found, dear friends, in our day, this kind of teaching being sown in all kinds of churches up and down the country and beyond. And in books and in famous leaders and preachers today. Are you aware? Are you alert to what you watch? There is this hyper-grace movement that's going on today that is not according to sound doctrine from the Word of God. What is this grace teaching today? Well, it's very similar to what was going on here. You see, what was going on here was that the people were saying that the grace of God frees me up to live the kind of lifestyle in my flesh that I want to live. Do you understand? They were, in a sense, taking the grace of God as a green light to live the kind of lives that they wanted to live. And we go on to read a little bit more in Jude how they lived and the kind of characters that they were. But just starting with this first thing, they changed the grace of God into lasciviousness. This is exactly what is going on today. We need to check people's motives when they start using the grace of God to get soft on the nature of sin. Why are they doing it? Ask yourself. And I know a friend of mine who's a dear brother in the Lord and 
He knows a lot of people that go to a certain church where this kind of thing seems to be going on, or people certainly believe it from this kind of church. And the things that they teach, it's unbelievable. People say, well, I'm not under the law anymore. I can live how I like. I'm under grace. This is the kind of thing they actually say. I'm not making it up. But what does Paul say? He says, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. The very grace they take as meaning to be a green light for sin means the opposite in the word of God from what they're actually saying. What does the grace of God mean? The grace of God does mean God's unmerited favor. It does mean all these things. But it also means, it speaks rather of God's power for me to be able to overcome sin in my life. The purpose of God's grace in my life is to furnish me with the ability to rise above my old nature and live in a way that I could have never lived before when I was in my flesh. That's what the grace of God is. It's not a free ticket to ride. It's a ticket. uh, I wouldn't even call it a ticket. But it's a gift whereby we are given to be able to be changed and empowered The grace of God speaks of the power of God, the enabling of God. Now, Paul foresaw this problem coming into the church when he speaks to the church in Rome. And he says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Shall we sin, therefore, that grace may abound? Do you see what I mean? That's the kind of doctrine that people are, in a sense, preaching today. And he says, certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it. That's what Paul says. It doesn't make sense. He says it doesn't, there's no possible, how can a dead man go on sinning? How can a drunkard who's died go on being a drunkard? How can a person who thieves go on being somebody who thieves once they've died? Doesn't make any sense, does it? How shall we who've died to sin live any longer in it? But I could give you quotes of leaders I, I remember going out to another country and I remember seeing on a television set a particular speaker that I know is popular in this country now as well. And is popular in the States and is popular all around the world and is known for constantly speaking on the grace of God. And he says he has revelations about the grace of God. And he basically pushes the law aside as though, well, we don't want anything to do with the law. We don't need the law. And you don't need to basically confess your sins. Your sins are already forgiven. Just rejoice. When you sin, just thank God that you're forgiven. This kind of mentality is completely foreign to the word of God. And when you say, uh, but it says in 1 John about that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. We have to confess them. He said, oh, no, no, no. Chapter 1 of 1 John is written to the Gnostics. That's absolute nonsense. Incredible. He's one of the most popular speakers today. You've probably watched him, some of you. And I ask of you to guard your heart against it. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't warn against some of these things, friends. It doesn't really delight me to have to do so. But there is a need for us to actually warn. Hey, make sure the people you're listening to aren't leading you astray. 
And so, he says, they've crept in unawares. Then we go on to read in verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how the, the, the Lord, having saved the people uh, out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. He goes on to give three illustrations from the Old Testament of those who basically would be like this, these company of people. And he talks about those who've come out of Egypt, and yet when they're out of Egypt, they were in unbelief. They didn't believe God. He goes on to speak about, as a second example, the angels, which kept not their first estate in verse 6, but left their own habitation. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. He goes on to give one final example of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He's saying, look at the consequences of sin. You see, dear friends, we treat sin so lightly today within the church. Would to God that we had such a fear not to sin. Would to God that we'd have preaching against sin rather than trying to preach for it in the guise of grace. Would to God that we had leaders that would be raised up today. You can go back to the old past, friends. Read the old books. Don't take my, my say-so for it. You read people like Jonathan Edwards. They spoke about sin. We don't speak about sin today. They spoke about the law and that we're heading for the condemnation of God unless the Lord intervenes. And they spoke about dealing with sin in our lives. Many of them. But as the scriptures say, we're living in the last days where we're heaping up for ourselves teachers. We have those itching ears. We want to hear these people. We're not really thinking about whether they are accountable to the Scriptures. We're thinking about whether they make me feel good. And sensuality has become the barometer of spirituality in the house of God. It's folly, isn't it? We need to get back to the things of God. So after mentioning these three things, he goes on to say in verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers, he calls them. Now the word filthy is not actually in the original Greek. It just basically means these dreamers defile them, the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. So in verse 8, he begins to elaborate on the type of character that these people are. What are they like? Well, let's take the first thing. They're dreamers. They constantly fill in their minds with what they want to go after. And it says they defile the flesh. Remember, Judah's already just spoken about Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going after godless living and immoral lifestyles. And these have come into the midst. They defile the flesh. That means to stain and speaks here specifically of moral and physical defilement when he talks about defiling of the flesh in verse 8. 
And then he goes on to say about despising dominion. That means to put of no value. That they despise, they put no value on those who are in government. Or whether that be in the nation, the state, the church and the family. Advocates for unbridled freedom of all sorts. Declaimers on liberty and all the evils of oppression. Defenders of what they regard as the right of injured man and yet secretly themselves lusting for the exercise of the very power which they would deny to others. It's exactly where people are at. It's a deception. And people deep down want power, influence over others. Be careful who you let influence you. I'm extremely serious here. Brothers and sisters, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Be careful who you let into your ear. Make sure that what they're saying is the counsel of the word of God. You say, how do I know whether that... Well, let's put it like this. Do they lower your level of consciousness towards sin or do they heighten it? Do they say, hey, it's not really that bad. Don't worry about that sin. Don't worry about your conscience. Just, hey, it's okay. You're just getting over the top. But yes, but I know this is sin. I feel God's shown me it's wrong. No, no. Don't believe that. If you're receiving that kind of counsel, then check again with the word of God. Now, I'm not saying that you can judge a person's spirituality by whether they're saying how awful you are. (laughs) But in this context, it's speaking about turning the grace into lasciviousness. Two people living together in an adulterous life. Does it really matter that we're living this way? Their friend says, well, the Bible sort of says it's not really okay, but we all need to love one another. And the main thing to realize is God is love. When you hear that, you know that you're being deceived by someone. One of the things we've robbed our young people of is sitting under messages where they come under conviction of sin. And I've seen it. And when I saw it, it nearly broke my heart. You say, what do you mean? Well, I grew up with, I've heard different people and famous young, young, young people preachers or preachers to young people. And they try to be trendy and get in with the young people and make things as compatible and easy as possible for them to believe. I don't find the word of God doing that, by the way, do you? Jesus didn't seem to do that. He makes it as hard so that the person who does come through really is genuinely saved. <laughs> but we try to make it easy for people. Then I went to a meeting in 2003 at Westminster Chapel when I still had no grey hair whatsoever in my... And I had more of it. 
and, uh, and I was young. <laughs> Younger. <laughs> Where did that American accent come from? Um, I was younger, and, uh, and I was hearing David Wilkerson. And David Wilkerson said, this evening we're, we're going to turn, we might turn the meeting into a youth rally. So I was like, well, whatever that is, but it sounds good. And he went on in the evening, the place was absolutely packed, and he did one of the most hard-hitting messages you could ever hear. Bang! It's, it's, it's called A Call to Anguish, from the book of Nehemiah. And he'd already spoken it once at his own church at Times Square. And something extraordinary happened. He ended his message, and there was eventually an altar call. And the first person that went up was a young girl. She must have been no more than 20, with tears in her eyes, and she was running to the altar to get right with God. And I thought, how many of these type of people have we robbed in the church from having the experience that that girl had? Because we're more concerned in keeping the people in our meetings than we are in having their souls saved from hell. I think it's a travesty that we could be in such a place. That's a sellout. But this young lady had this opportunity to get right through with God that evening. I trust she did. But we're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And we find in this particular passage that it speaks about these three things and then we realize that they're dreamers, these people, the flesh, they're all in the flesh, they despise dominion and speak evil of dignitaries. Dignitaries means honor, glory, splendor. It's those which is, who are fitted to, to respect that which is dignified or exalted. It speaks of rank or station or office. And these ones were coming in and just, oh, you don't want to listen to them. Come and listen to us. You know the kind of mentality. And so this comes into the house of God. And then he goes on to list another three situations from the Old Testament as examples of what these dreamers are really like. And he says a bit further down in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have gone in the way of Cain. Well, what way did Cain go in? Do you remember that Cain's sacrifice was not accepted and Abel's sacrifice was accepted, and Cain was angry. He's been accepted. But mine, why, why does he get the attention? You know, this bitter envy, this jealousy that comes in. He's getting all the attention. People are going to him. They're not going to me. People are going to her. They're not going to me for help. Because what we want is the attention. We love people to have to need us. It's a great danger. 
We want the attention. And so and so has got the attention. Think how the mighty have fallen. What about Saul? The attention goes to David and Saul can't handle it. Do you know what I mean? Now I want to tell you something frightening. That can happen to any one of us. Bitterness gets in. Somebody else has the limelight. Oh dear, this is what was happening with these men. They were those who were in the way of Cain. And the anger came with it and it stoked up and it stoked up till in the end Cain murders Abel. And how many people have been murdered not by a brutal blow with the fist but with wrong teaching and sent in a wrong way. It's so easy it happens. Friends, let's guard our hearts against envy and others, and we may not even be aware of it. It may be in its embryonic stage, but ask God to shine his light on it so that you can deal with it early. And didn't the Lord even say to Cain, if you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? He had opportunity for acceptance. He could have got right with God, but no. And these people were the same. They were trying to gain the limelight, take the attention away from others onto themselves. Woe unto them. And then secondly, they ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. I find the story of Balaam almost humorous in a sense. I mean, particularly with the ass. Yeah, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? But it's amazing. Do you remember that Barak goes to Balaam and says, curse the people of Israel for me? And then he says, well, I'll wait to see what the Lord says. And then Balak sends a whole host for Balaam to go back with him to see Balak. And the, he says, Lord, shall I go? And the Lord says, no. And so Balaam doesn't go. And then the next time they come again and offer him something more lucrative. You see, if they can just get Balaam to curse the people of Israel, it's amazing what can happen to somebody's heart when you offer them a lot of money or honor and position. And so this is exactly what they were doing. For Balaam. And so Balaam's already asked the Lord, should I go? And the Lord says no. So he says, no, I can't go. Then they come back and they say, Shall, uh, would you come with us and you'll be honored by the king? I'm paraphrasing in the Hayward version, you understand. And then Balaam goes back to the Lord and says, shall I go? And the Lord says, go. And then Balaam goes and the Lord is angry with Balaam. Did you get it? You see, it's a matter of the heart. He'd already gone to the Lord about going. <laughs> and then he inquires again why his own heart is being exposed, isn't it? And he goes. But in the end, he still finds that he can't curse the people of Israel. Hallelujah. And yet, though he knew the will of God... Though he knew the word of God, it was money, it's the cash, it's the office, it's the, it's the way that we can, be, we can get some kind of position if we just compromise 
concerning the word of God. We've got the prosperity teachers all around us, haven't we? You don't need me to tell you about the prosperity teachers. Pay 20 pounds into the offering box over on that wall. (laughs) And you will receive a bountiful blessing. And all this nonsense. But this is what is in the church today. It's everywhere. You just go on to look at it on the TV. Unbelievable. These people were like that. Be careful. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. Because there's many that have had a lot of money and used it for the purposes of God. So don't judge somebody just because they're rich. That's not what the Bible says. Just because somebody's got a good wage or an earning, it doesn't mean that they're living unrighteously. Not at all. Could have been that they worked hard and the Lord's blessed them and give them that prosperity. Well, why hasn't he given that to me? Well, why don't you just thank God that he's given it to them? (laughs) Anyway, swiftly moving on. So Balaam, the error of Balaam. Be careful about lust in your heart for money of itself. And then finally, perish in the gainsaying of Korah. I think this is a really serious matter. Korah comes up to Moses. Moses, you take too much upon yourself. We're here too, you know. That's the kind of attitude. What about us? We're pretty good. And they rail against Moses and they rail against Aaron. What are they doing? Railing against a judge, the leader of Israel, and railing against those in authority, so to speak, within the church. Aaron was there. And Moses said, is it not enough for you that you're ministering in the house of God? And there's all this kind of against the leadership. And as a result of it, God has to judge Korah. We need to be very careful, do we not, on the way we treat leaders. And I'm not talking about myself. I just mean generally. The way we treat leaders, the way I treat leaders, people who are spiritual leaders to me, I've got to be careful how I treat them. All of us. We don't want to... You say, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Yes, but Jude is writing to them about the Old Testament for their good. And he's saying, these dreamers come in and they despise the authority. Just speak glibly against them. Oh, don't listen to them. You know, that kind of attitude. Well, friends, we've got to watch these particular things in our hearts, haven't we? These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, he goes on to say. And he goes on to describe what they are. And then he tells about the judgment that they're to receive. And then he goes on to say that they are, in verse 16, murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Isn't it amazing that we can be murmurous? I never think of murmuring as such a bad sin. Do you, Brian? I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, you sort of think murmuring's not that bad, is it? You know, I mean, you know, that kind of attitude, you know. Very English, isn't it? You say to an Englishman, isn't it a beautiful day? 
And they say, oh, it's going to be raining tomorrow. You know, that kind of attitude. You know. Always depressed. Always have to find the bottle half empty rather than half full. Which isn't really a blessing to any of us, is it? But listen, you see, uh, we have to be careful. The children of Israel murmured. Just this discontentment. And we don't hear murmurs because they're quiet. Nor are they necessarily meant to be for hearing. We just say them under our breath because we don't want other people to hear them. You know, that kind of thing. Murmuring. Complainers. Always complaining about what's wrong. Who said amen? (laughs) It's your mother, Linda. Now some light has come to bear. (laughs) I didn't have anything to do with that, but it's on the recording. Right. Well done, Mum. Right, so it's amazing what a message can do, isn't it? So we've got to deal with our complainings, haven't we, Linda? No, no, I didn't. I've never seen my sister Linda complain. She's too joyful. Mother B, don't say a word. (laughs) Okay, complainers. Walking after their own lusts, what they want, and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having many persons in admiration because of advantage. In other words, they butter you up. Oh, you know, you're, you know, this, that, and the other. They won't tell you about sin, just, oh, no, you're lovely. Why? To gain advantage into their lives. Flattery is a deception. These be they who separate themselves, sensual. In other words, they don't participate in the household of God in that word. They cause division. And then the scriptures say this. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. (laughs) It's amazing. But I've been shocked. And I've known of one or two people that I thought were amazing. And then, something happens. Something's found out. We can't go by words, can we? It's by the fruit you should know them. Not by miracle, not by sign, but whether they do my will. What is the will of God? Not complaining. I'm not looking at any of you individually because I'm trying to have a go at you. You understand. I just have to look somewhere. And some of you have got such lovely faces that I like looking at them. So it's really not to have a go. It's, 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 I'm not saying you personally... My eyes like that, you understand? Okay. <laughs> then the scriptures go on to say, we're nearly at the end, put your seatbelts on. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Now we come to a positive end. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Oh, we wouldn't murmur so much if we had to pray, would we? Well, it's not right here, or it's not, you know, I'm not talking about when there's something heretical. We've been dealing with that here. But I'm just me murmuring for the sake of murmuring. You understand what I mean? Just complaining, just finding the worst thing possible, even though something's good. That kind of attitude, you know. What if something's wrong? Are we to just imagine it's not wrong and just say, praise the Lord, everything's okay? Of course not. 
But why not pray in the Holy Ghost instead? Seems to be a more profitable way of dealing with things. I remember hearing of a young lad who was in a church and the pastor wasn't even saved. And he would preach messages that weren't very good, you can imagine, can't you? And he would say things that aren't right. And this young man decided he got it in his heart to pray for the pastor. Rather than... He decided to pray for him. So he said to the pastor, can, we, can I have a prayer meeting? The pastor said, well, we don't really believe in that sort of stuff here, but you can have it. Just use the back room, will you? So the young man goes by himself and he has a friend. And they decide to pray before the meeting. Then they go into the meeting. After a few weeks, a few more join them until they have about 40 young people praying for this pastor who's not even saved. And every time he went up to preach, their heads would go down and start, Lord, deal with this man. (laughs) Bring him through. He doesn't know what he's saying. And they would be praying throughout the whole of his sermon. And then one particular Sunday, he was preaching and saying whatever he was saying. And then he suddenly went, I'm not even saved. Right in the middle of his message. Nobody said anything to him. I need the Lord. I'm not born again. And he got on his knees and gave his heart to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? What a difference that made, didn't it? Amen. This is what we need, you see? This is what we need, that kind of praying in the Holy Ghost. So-and-so's a real pain. Right, let's go and pray for them then. Let's pray for them and drive that pain out of them till they're such a blessing we don't know what to do with ourselves. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Okay, seems much more profitable way of dealing with things to me. I know I'm not very good at it. Okay. (laughs) Right, so praying in the Holy Ghost. And then he goes on to say this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion. Now, you see, people in the congregation have been tainted by these wrong leaders, by these people getting in. And they'd started falling into the idea that it's okay to sin the way we're sinning. And so Jude says, you've got to make a distinction. Some of these people have fallen into sin just because they were overwhelmed. They just didn't know what to do. Other people deliberately more hardened their heart. Now those that were more soft have compassion on them. Be gentle with them. But others, he says, pull them out of the fire. Sometimes there's going to be people that we're going to have to say to, brother, sister, get out of that place quickly. It's heading for the judgment of God. Brother, sister, don't listen to that person. They're telling you something that's so wrong. They're saying to you, it's okay for you to marry an unbeliever. Don't believe them. That's not what the Bible says. You understand what I mean? That kind of thing. There are other people we need to handle more gently. Make a distinction. Learn by the Spirit to know how to deal with someone. But if you deal with someone strongly, you still need to do it in love. You're not railing against them. You're pleading with them. But on some, be gentle. Sister, brother, I really feel you need to think about this again. Do you understand what I mean? There's some we need to pull out the fire. Finally, 
Oh, that gives you such hope, doesn't it? Now, and of some have compassion, and then it goes on to say, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Don't get into the same sin yourself when you help another out of it. Verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. In other words, to deliver you from falling prey to those leaders that would lead you astray. You have a God who keeps his own. And it's no wonder Jude, Jude ends concerning that thought with praise. And he says, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. May the Lord, brothers and sisters, help us to be those that listen to him and that do not turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, but see the grace of God as the means of us coming out of sin and know what it is to be pure. Don't be taken up with the sins of Korah. Don't be taken up with the sins of Badam. Learn, each one of us, that we might be holy and pure. We need a revival of holiness in the church. That's the revival I'm asking God for. Holiness, where we're chaste, changed, and pure, and love one another with sincerity of heart. Care for one another. Build one another up. Bless one another. Learn some Italian to bless Piero in Italian, or whatever it may, whatever it need be. But bless one another in the things of God. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its rightness. And as though we've had a long time together today, we ask that you would minister your word into our hearts and preserve this flock. Preserve us all, Lord, from the infiltration of those that would draw us away simply unto themselves. Help us to get into the word and to realize that at the same time, you're able to keep us too. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, we have tea and coffee that's going to...